it's all coming together for me now. <laughs> I've got Tim thinking about it. Chronicles, a weekly podcast concerning the mundane, interesting, and maybe even sometimes dramatic happenings of a simple fantasy baseball dynasty league. This podcast chronicles the thoughts and musings of Greg, Joe, Jack, and Tim, four of the ten owners of the league. Welcome to Episode 5, The Art of the Deal. Okay, we have Greg, Jack, Joe, and myself, Tim, all four of us back in action this week. I know we'd uh, uh, been a trio the last couple of weeks, so I'm really happy to have the quartet back. And taking a look at the week two games, we had some interesting games last week, uh, starting off with uh, Jack's, Axe Wa- Jack's Wax Packs uh, beating the Dreamers 44 44- uh, 0.8 points to 37.5 points. So if you've been listening to the podcast, you know we've been big fans of the Dreamers. And uh, in reality, uh, the Dreamers, you know, uh, did not perform. Uh, underwhelmed there. Uh, we had uh, in another game, Funkin' Punks uh, and the Omission Commission, the Funkin' Punks, LJ, uh, one of only two 2-0 two teams. Uh, wiped out the Omission Commission 42-31.3. to Another early season darling of ours just not producing uh, whatsoever. We had uh, Bad Street and Lethal Injection, the Battle of the Breens. Lethal just crushing Bad Street. Lethal dropped 45.6 points. Bad Street uh, only put up 37.8 points, so not uh, much of a contest there at all. Uh Last week, we were talking about 47 Ronin and Smoke Lympathetic. My team, 47 Ronin, and Greg's team, Smoke Lympathetics. Again, Greg started out hot, and um, the Pathetics just really cooled down, um, and the Cubs really hurt overall score. Um, Ronin, 50.65 to Smokeland, 36.3. And then uh, Rudin Metal, uh, Joe's team, and St. Locash Marauders. We talked about St. Locash taking a tough loss last week. This week, uh, or this past week, um, week two, uh, beating Ritter Metal 46.6 to 43.9. Uh, Joe, we talked about the tough division. So, um, guys, as we take a look at this, um, we have two 2-0 teams. We have the Funkin' Punks in the Champions Division, and we have <clears throat> Lethal Injection in B Division. Um, soon to be maybe Bullwinkle division. We don't know yet. Uh, we'll talk a little more about that later. But um, impressions as you look at the standings uh, and the scores last week. Well, you know, what became clear to me is that uh, the the collective group of us on this podcast really don't know what the hell we're talking about. <laughs> uh, you, you know, I, I mean, every team that we've either identified as a solid contender 
and or a team that might be on the rise or a surprise uh, flop last week. You know, you look at the undefeated teams in our league as we stand after two weeks, and I don't think we had a lot of in-depth conversation about either of those two 2-0 teams. Um, and, and so it just it, it goes to the unpredictability of baseball, I think, and especially April baseball. It's, a, it's early, um, as usual. But, yes, we, we, <laughs> we spent quite a bit of time talking about the um, champions division and, uh, and probably about 10% of that time uh, talking about the Funkin' Punks, who are currently uh, 2-0 and and the only 2-0 team in that division. So um, that is a, uh, a bit of a surprise. And they're scoring points, too. I mean, they're... Um, and uh, uh, another, again, Chris losing the, the first week in, in a tough one, but, but um, had a very good week this week. So um, he's kind of surprised me a little bit. Mike... You know, lethal injection being two and zero again. We didn't. I don't think anybody picked them as an elite per se. Um, I think everybody picked them out of that division. So um, we knew that they had uh, a, a strong team. Um, so that's not as big of a surprise to me. Uh, and then, of course, um, the other surprise uh, is uh, I think a couple of us at least uh, picked rear and metal. And uh, and they started out zero and two as well. So it looks like soon to be zero and three. <laughs> I think I think I think it's you know obviously it's still early. I mean there's what thirteen points separates yeah. the teams points four in this you know uh, throughout the entire league. The top scoring team is is Tim, which is within the realm of what we expected at one hundred seven point two and and. Uh, that can't be right. Greg is the lowest scoring team. Wow. So, but but still, it's less than thirteen points at this right. at this point. You know what feels different for me than past years, and I I can readily admit that it might be because we're having this podcast and engage in these weekly conversations. But what feels different to me is that in past years, uh, you know, I was always looking at. To be honest, it, Tim and, and Jack and their teams, and those were the two teams that I kind of said, well, they're the standard. There's those are the ones that I'm chasing, and I wasn't wrong. You know, um, you know, we were all kind of in the middle of the pack, and you know, there was a one or two teams who you didn't expect much from, but this year uh, it feels like it is um, anyone's game after after the first two weeks, and I don't mean that. You know, I know it's early, but I mean that. Um, you know, looking at the rosters and looking at the major league performances of some of these teams, and I think that's going to reflect on their players, it feels much more up for grabs this year. Yeah, I would agree. And I think we did talk about that in our preseason work uh, about how much uh, competition there is in this league. I, I do want to point out the breakdown stat, which is, for me, one of the most important stats because it levels out on any given week, where would you have been against everybody else in the league? And St. Locash really has been, in the first two weeks, the best team overall. They are number one team against every other team in the league. So you take their score, put it against everybody else's score, where would they be? And I think that that helps true up some of the early season kind of shaking there. Uh, Lethal is, is sitting there at eight. Um, so um, And then the other uh, Dreamers, 
are the ninth. So, you know, you've got some teams there that have been scoring good. And maybe they just ran into a buzzsaw. So it'll be interesting to watch. Well, and that, yeah, and that's true. And I, you know, I'm just still looking at the standings and you, you look at a team like Mike, who's scored as many points as anybody, but he's had only, he's had fewer than 90 points scored against him. You know, and then you look at a, a team like Pops, who's sort of somewhere in the middle and points scored for him, but he's had 115 points scored against him. You know, that's that's running into that hot team on the wrong week. It's um, yeah, it's interesting. I'm I'm, I'm looking at it as as well, and um, like Tim said, the uh, we've always always been a, a fan of the power poll, um, and then like he said, ultimately the uh, the breakdown. Obviously, St. Low Cash. Um, I, it's just, if, if someone had asked, you know, uh, if we, if we had started, we did start before the season talking about who was going to be where and, uh, and yeah, St. Locash wasn't in a whole lot of the conversations. Um, you know, the, uh, the Marte situation, if they weren't going to come back down to earth anyway, uh, that's not going to help them. Um, so uh, it's interesting. It's early. Um, you know, I, I, it, when you're not doing well, you, it, it, the uh, the phrase "it's early" goes longer and longer into the season. I don't know if you guys are with that. <laughs> um, so, I've been uh, I've been known to say it's early in week twelve at, at sometimes, but um, uh, and then and uh, you know my uh, uh, my squad is uh, I, I I may be in some trouble here. I don't, I don't see myself. <laughs> I may be in some trouble in this division. Well, and, and I dare say that we might be seeing the um, in its second year of its existence the real effects of the Champions Division versus the other divisions. You know, uh, the four teams in the Champions Division just teeing off on one another these first two weeks. Uh, you know, last year it was a new uh, convention, and um, you know, we, this may be the f- the first full year where that weighs into our strategy as we uh, manage our teams throughout the year. So here's what we have, guys. Um, we had several pickups over the week, so I'd love to get your take on that. We had, I'm just going to run through them real quick, and then you can kind of take us back to whichever one you like. We had Jose Reyes was dropped uh, by St. Locash. We had Shohai Otani added by the Dreamers. Hmm. We had Jason Wirth dropped. We had um, Jason added. Castro. I'm sorry. Jason Worth was added. Thank you. Smokeland added I'm Jason Worth. Saying he was dropped because you're used to saying that so often. But this time, <laughs> well, he was dropped for for him to pick him up. Desperate um, times. Desperate times. Jason Worth, man. Um, hey, by the way, who has the best batting average on the on the uh, Cubs so far? It's Jason Hayworth. Um, Jason Castro, a catcher, was added, and Chris Herman was dropped to make room for him. That's Herman with two ends. Lethal Injection picked up Eric Thames, who was on fire. Mm. And Delano DeShields was dropped uh, to make room for him. Hun- uh, 47 Ronin dropped Hunter Dozier and then picked up uh, Billy Hamilton in a trade. Uh, Bad Street um, picked up Eddie Martinez and Austin Riley, a couple of youngsters. Uh, Bad Street also on the same day, no, the next day, picked up Ryan Healy and Justin Upton. I think Ryan Healy was a subject of our conversations a couple of weeks ago. It's interesting. Um, and in that very same team, uh, same trade, Jack's Wax Pack picked up Evan Longoria 
Congratulations, Jack. I know you've been trying for that for a while. Uh, Mickey Maniak and Javier Baez. Uh, 47 Ronin added uh, Jaime Candelario and Bad Street. Um, actually, that's a uh, that's this week, so we won't even go into that. Well, you know, I think easily the most, uh, I don't know, sexy, if you will, pickup of the week was um, was Otani. Yeah, let's talk a little about that. So uh, Shohai Otani, the Japanese Babe Ruth. Does anybody know uh, more about him than I do? Because I, I've actually yeah, done Yeah, I, I know work. about okay. him. I, you know, I actually scouted him, and I thought about drafting him because – you know, he, he's, what is he, 22 or 23? He's a starting pitcher with electric stuff. He's pretty dominant over in that league. Uh, but, on you know, he's like a high school player. On the days that he's not on the mound, he's out in the outfield, and he's knocking the ball around. He, he's, he hits for average. He hits for power. Uh, you know, he seems like the real deal. So, you know, um, could he be a revolutionary player? You know, we've seen in the last couple of years – some relief pitchers who could swing the bat and pinch hit and play the field a little bit. But could this guy be one of those players who as either as a reliever or as a starter is an everyday player, but uh, once a week or once twice a week pitcher. Is that possible? I, I Maybe I, I don't see it as a reliever. I think he'd have to be a starter in order to um, obviously to be able to regulate it. If that, the, it just seems you're right. It would be revolutionary. It just seems so non MLB. Maybe he goes to a, maybe an American League team. Maybe DHs uh, on his days off. I know he I, he's capable of playing the field as well, but it just seems like as protective as as uh, teams are on those arms, um, you know, and and, uh, and and as polished as his seems to be as early as it is. I just don't see him put, putting him out there. It's, it, it's a it's an interesting concept. I, I'm I'm uh, I, same as you, Greg. I know the guy. I saw him. I I, uh, I did not take a chance on him. Um, it, it's it's interesting. Imagine the double switch possibilities, though, in the National League. You know, he he's out there in right field, and you got a guy struggling. So he comes in, pitches to a right-handed batter, and then they bring in a left-handed guy, and he goes back out to the outfield. Imagine the double switch possibilities. Is that Lee? Can you can you pitch and then go back to a position? Sure. I mean, Why you know, not? like late inning games, uh, I've seen. You know, they'll put in that they'll have a left-handed right and right-handed pitchers in the game, and they'll move them from left to right depending on who's at bat, so that they can keep them in the game. Is he a better hitting prospect or pitching prospect? Huh. It, it, they, they say that he about, has better oh. stuff. I'm sorry, Jack. They say he has better stuff than you, Darvish. Yep. and could win a batting type uh, batting title in the MLB. Okay, but given the value of pitching in the major leagues, right. is there really a major league team that's going to risk him in the field if he's that good as a pitcher? Right. That's why I think his the focus will be pitching. That's why I said maybe maybe an American League team. You'd be with an American League team, and then it'd almost be silly not to run him out there every now and then and let him swing the bat. I mean, the guy's got poppies. Yeah, well, okay, so why don't they run Madison Baumgartner out there as a as a DH once a week? Well, because well, they're, they're NL. They, they, don't have, they don't have the, uh, they don't have the opportunity. Okay, so he's playing an American League team. Why, why don't they do that? They I, don't don't ba- I don't think Baumgartner cares. The interesting thing about this guy, at least at this point, uh, and again, he's 22, 
At this point, he's saying he would only sign with an MLB team that was would allow him to pitch and play in the field on a regular basis. When did the rules change about Japanese players? I always thought that, that they didn't allow them to even try to be in MLB until they were like 27 or 28 the, or something. The word like. is that when he, he was going to go directly to the MLB and uh, what happened was this team came in. I can't remember what team it is, Greg. I don't know if you know the team. The is it the Tigers? Yeah, the no, um, the Nippon Ham Fighters. Nippon Ham Fighters, and the agreement is that he could go to the MLB anytime he wanted. So it's not like when uh, an MLB team had to post and go through all this this work, and there were certain rules in the Japanese league that he actually worked this into his contract with the intention. Of, of being able to do that. So I'm looking at his stats from last year, guys. His age 21 season, just his batting stats. He had uh, 323 uh, at-bats, almost 400 plate appearances. He hit uh, 22 home runs, 67 RBIs. He walked 50 times. His batting average was 322, and his OPS was 1,000. Baumgartner ain't got None of that. <laughs> right. and, uh, and here's his pitching stats. So he, on his 21 age season, he uh, he was 10 and four with a 1.86 ERA. Um, you know, he started 20 games. Asking. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, like I said, it. it, it I said it's. I almost. I feel. Was he adamant about playing the field or getting? Yeah. No. He, about doing both. He wants to do both. He had 140 innings pitched. And he had, uh, let's see, he allowed 89 hits in 140 innings, and he struck out 174 batters. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't. That's going to be tough. That's no, tough. I think money might talk. You know, they might say, "Hey, listen, uh, we love your enthusiasm, and we'll give you some at bats." But listen, buddy, you know, if you can just dampen your enthusiasm to troll right field, we're going to give you 20 million a year. That may changes his mind but um right now i mean you know like brian price for the reds saying he's just going to do what it takes to win yeah I, is, is there no team that would say uh, hell yeah. why wouldn't we do this you right. know <laughs> I, I, yeah it, may, it very well may be the case we may be some, seeing something uh, a, a new situation here that'd be interesting do you think it will be an established i mean a, a typically a perennially good team that does it, or do you think it's going to be a team that wants to try something new? Um, I think I see it being a, a great marketing. Right. I think maybe a, maybe a, a poorer team that could utilize the marketing. And yeah. I could see that. More like a, a smaller market team or, or, well, they have to be able to afford them. <laughs> but yeah. Um, Novelty sells tickets too. In other words, if I'm if I'm you know the 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 Yankees or the Red Sox or the Cubs, um, you know then I can't really afford to play around too much, you know in that situation. If I'm the, you know the uh, the Reds, <laughs> we, uh, that's actually not a bad. Uh... You know, somebody like that taking a chance, selling tickets, so on and so forth. Seems like you'd be a little bit more uh, uh, creative at that point with uh, less to lose, I guess, if that makes sense. Before we uh, switch segments, Jack, I'd, I'd like to ask you about this trade. I mean, five players moved. Ryan Healy was someone we've talked about quite a bit. You talked about Upton. 
uh, you've been talking about Longoria. Is this just the the culmination of a, a long-term trade, or was this something that came up quickly and you just uh, moved on it quickly? Okay. So um, we, we have been talking actually for a while. Um, um, actually, Upton and Longoria were in, were in talks for, for quite a bit, uh, even before the season. Honestly, um, if you remember, before the season started, I uh, last year, David Murphy was my um, uh, uh, middle infield. Uh, middle infield, did I say David? Middle infielder, and um, he was my backup third baseman. So now he has no more third base qualification. So I literally came into the season with just uh, Franco uh, of the Phillies. I had no backup. So I was trying to trade in the offseason. Uh, again, um, ended up getting offered guys like Jose Reyes, who I see here on the drop list, um, and such. Uh, so I was talking at that point, uh, about Upton and, uh, and Longoria and a deal. Um, I decided, uh, when I saw Healy, uh, available, I decided I would just wait and draft Healy and, uh, and use him, um, as my backup. <clears throat> and, uh, and then I panicked and got rid of all of it and, uh, decided, <laughs> decided that, Franco, I, I didn't want to depend on Franco. If he does good, I'll be happy because he's a Philly. Uh, but if he does poor, I can't be mad because he's a Philly and he's blowing it for my fantasy team. So um, uh, the other factors in that trade uh, are Baez, which I think last time we were all together, I told you guys I was going to go get, and I got. Um, I do like him long term. And, um, and my wife... Uh, thinks Evan Longoria is hot. So that had something to do with it as well. Um, so those three things combined. Uh, Upton, I expect, again, to be a solid guy, but he's very unpredictable, and I just don't want to deal with that. This now, year. So does, uh, does Amanda think he's hot with the shaved head and facial, the big beard? Or not if, as uh, less hot now. He, he was hotter before, but but still hot, yes. Got it. Okay. All right. Because if I'm not mistaken, she thought another, uh, 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 she thought a Philly player was hot and he had a great freaking career. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so um, I think, I think she knows what she's talking about. Okay. All right. Well, um, thank you very much. I appreciate that. And uh, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and want to talk a little about major league baseball. Okay, gentlemen, welcome back. I want to take a look at the start of the MLB season. Uh, what what have you noticed? What have you picked up from the the first uh, few weeks of games and any surprises for you? And then I think a little later in the segment, we're going to talk about the fantasy impacts. So, Greg, as you take a look at the MLB season, what are some things that really popped out at you? Well, I mean, I think for most part, the races aren't all that surprising. It's so early in the season. Um, but a big exceptions to me are the National League Central and the National League West. You know, the Central, uh, Cincinnati's off to a great start. Um, and, and it's one of those things, like, you know, they didn't go out and spend any money. So there's certain teams that are off to a better start that you can kind of justify it based upon their off seasons. 
but not so much the Reds. And so, you know, I start to wonder if that Brian Price strategy of, you know, using his pitching staff, um, you know, in a more innovative way, if, if that's going to bear fruit for them. And then looking at uh, the National League West with the Rockies and the Diamondbacks on top. You know, again, young teams, talent, uh, some willingness to spend money there. But um, I expected them not to be terrible. But I really thought, you know, based upon the offseason's uh, pitching staff changes for the Giants and the Dodgers' recent um, uh, you know, ways of building that team, I really thought it would be the Giants and Dodgers. And again, it's early, uh, but uh, boy, you can't deny the starts that those three teams have had. It's um, it, the the interesting thing is, and and again, I, it, you have to, we all have to assume that the Rockies will implode, right? But um, they got Dahl coming back, they got Desmond coming back. Story hasn't even really started hitting, uh, assuming that he does. Um, they're an interesting one. Um, again, you know, it, it, you just it, it's hard to believe, um, but uh, they get a, they, they get those guys back and, and hitting. Who who knows how far they could go? You know, one one surprise I guess on the other end of the spectrum for me is the Blue Jays. You know, uh, really again so early, but I expected them to be really this almost to be their year, and at least thus far it hasn't been. And you know, I guess that's what you get when you depend upon. Francisco Liriano to be a mainstay of your rotation. <laughs> do you uh, do you believe in the adage you can lose a pennant in April, but you can't win a pennant in April? Uh, yes. N- yeah, yeah. I think that sounds right. I do not. You think it's just math? I mean, they're they're it's three and eleven math. right now. You got to win enough games to win your division. Doesn't matter when you win them. I think it says more about how far you're going to go in the playoffs when you win them. I just the attitude matters, and and it's hard to to start out three and eleven. And you know, I was going to say uh, uh, Toronto must miss uh, Encarnacion, but but it looks like Cleveland's missing him too. So <laughs> I told Tim he he wouldn't like playing in Ohio. Yeah, he didn't as a red. Yeah, well, he, he uh, Good observation. I went back and looked at his Aprils for the last four years, and this is routine. So whether you're in a, in southern Canada, southeastern Canada, or in Ohio, <laughs> so we'll see. When May starts, then, then we'll kind of, <laughs> we'll talk about it. But, you know, he had a dinger, uh, I think he hit a dinger yesterday or today. So, um, you know, we'll, hopefully that stroke will come along. We'll see. You know, it's interesting, though, Tim, your question about winning, you know, uh, Losing the pennant in April, you know, not respectfully, Joe. The thing that I think is interesting, though, is when teams, uh, how they manage their farm teams or, or who they choose to bring up. I was watching the Pirates Cardinals broadcast, and it was the Cardinals home broadcast team. And the Cardinals are off to a less than stellar start, but they have a strong track record That's of success. But, but yet they, they were, um, you know, the, the, the announcer's like, well, you know what? The uh, front office is really going to make have to make some difficult decisions. Uh, they're looking at their AAA team to see who might be able to offer some help, which, again, leads me to to conclude that there's some truth to what Tim put out there, that the teams may, may you know, uh, get off their own plan based upon some early season stumbles. 
Well, I don't disagree with that. It's just that, okay, let's say the Cardinals bring up some guys from their farm team that they were considering anyway, and they have great seasons, and then they turn around and, and fade at the end, or the opposite, they don't make those moves, and they bring them up, and they have good Septembers. You know, you're, you're, it, it doesn't, I, I guess all I'm saying is that, that no matter which way you go, perhaps you're going to win the same amount of games. And, and math is math. It's, it's how you're playing leading into the playoffs. Well, certainly that's possible if you if you go with the assumption that those players will have a net benefit on the roster. But I think what can, oh, I mean, which is possible. But I think what's also possible is you bring up players, uh, you, you displace some veterans who may be off to rough starts and then you're you know you're kind of uh, casting the die there that you know they're they're not going to have a great season or they're going you're going to permanently disrupt their flow and then you're going to vacillate between younger players and veteran players and you know and you're you're going to be an unsettled lineup with an unsettled roster into May whereas if you say you know what the team that we broke camp with is the team that we thought we had the best opportunity to win with. And despite two weeks of struggle, we're we're going to stick to that plan. Um, I, that's that's where I think the that managerial side comes in. Okay, but it's at the same time you you do those moves and you make those moves in in September, and now you've become unsettled. Going say okay, let's say you've won the game by won the division by ten games, and you bring up the kid in September and. He takes the place of the veteran, and he gets hot. And you go into the postseason. Do you all of a sudden put that veteran back in, or do well, you go with the hot hand? Well, I don't think that and, contending. And I'm not sure that I see contending teams bringing up young players and well, giving them that's significant a good point. roles. Right. Good point. In September, on the, the lower, the lower side. The fact is, that I'd, I'd be interested um, to see. I know to me, in general, and I haven't studied it by any means, but in general, it seems like once you get a, a, a you know, two weeks in is a little early, but you know, once you get a, a month, a, a, you know, month and a half in, it doesn't seem like, the, you know, the placement shifts a whole lot in baseball. It seems like a lot of it gets settled. Obviously, there's a team here that makes a run. There's a team here that falls, but... Uh, you know, I'm looking again. We're you know we're talking you know 15 games in, and I could easily see the NL East finishing exactly like it is right now. Um, you know, the, the again, there's you know, is Colorado going to win? You know, two out of every three games, probably not. There's going to be variables, but it seems like the beginning uh, just. In baseball, more than than any other sport, it, it it it's mental and attitude matters, and it seems like that does, for the most part, it's not a perfect science, but it does, um, you know, run itself throughout the the course based on uh, uh, starts a lot of the time. Yeah, it's a it's a sport that that things play out in uh, in a time frame that is very different than most other sports. Um, and, and it's weird because the game is played every single day. And maybe that's why ruts can be so strong as opposed to a sport that's played every other day, every third day. 
every week. And so when I think about baseball and I think about the human factor, uh, it, it's not all uh, mathematics. There, there is math that helps identify certain things. But I do believe that that attitude, that, that, that emotional component, that essentially is what a manager manages by now. And that's why the manager sitting in the, in the bench, in, in the dugout area is really managing attitudes and managing uh, emotions right. more than anything else. Right. Um, I mean, I, you know, I, Clint Hurdle is a great example, Greg, I listen to him talk and I feel like he is a life coach the, you know, the way he talks, the words he chooses to, to use the way he talks about what's happening at any given time. It's, it's so much about emotional strategy as opposed to game strategy. It's almost as if the game strategy piece is is, is handled, um, and then the young kids bringing the young kids up. That seems to be more of a financial transaction, unless it's a, a essential case of need. But um, you know, for me, uh, I I think you've got we've got ten percent of the season uh, in play already, which kind of shocked me when I t- really kind of thought about it that way. That one tenth of the season is already done, already in the books. Well, I'm screwed. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, I, I think the emotional component is good. And, and Greg, you talked about something I think really applies to fantasy really well. As you said, look, this is the team I think I can best win with. You're the, you're the GM. Uh, and now I'm taking a look at this from a fantasy perspective and saying, look, this is the team that I started the season with. And I told you last week I wasn't comfortable with my team. I was unsettled. I know what I wanted to do. I know what the goal is. I know what I have set up, but I know I have to continue to work. And I wonder if there are GMs in real baseball that think that way. And then also from a fantasy perspective, uh, you know, are, are we all kind of doing that? I mean, Jack and I made made moves. We're both feeling unsettled about our team. Yeah, I, I think there are GMs who do that. And I think my beloved Pirates are a perfect example of that type of, uh, uh, you know, general manager strategy. You know, as we know, Marte's down now for 80 games, performance-enhancing drugs. And uh, the, the logic would be that, um, oh, up comes Austin Meadows, our top outfield prospect. But I, I, I have a real sense that the Pirates have already written this year off. You know, they're not that, they're only a few games under 500. And, and you know, just, just two weeks ago, they were at least, talking in terms of believing they could contend for at least a wild card, but uh, based upon their moves, I really can only conclude that they've given up. And so what's that? You know, that's going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy because they're not going to bring up the players who offer them the best chance to win. And they might even start to ease off on their, their best pitchers for fear of injury. You know how cautious uh, major league teams are now with pitch counts and injury prevention and so they're they're not going to put it all out there now. They're going to be content to let their younger arms have uh, restful seasons so that they can be fresh for next year. That, that's an interesting thing. Um, you had talked last week about the potential of Kutch moving based on what they're doing. And it, it sounds like as someone who watches you know, over a hundred uh, Pittsburgh games a year and obviously follows the press. You think that they really are there. And that is a really weird team. If you want to talk about a statistical anomaly on this one, Joe, every series they've been, they've either swept or been swept. Mm, That's bizarre. So they, they, and they swept the Cubs in Chicago and then uh, unfortunately lost today and have lost three in a row, lost three in a row to St. Louis. So they, 
um, you know, it, it it is such a strange team to break down. And I think, Greg, it's going to be interesting to hear your take on uh, on the Buccos a, as we go through the season and what really happens. Um, you know, and maybe we even get Jack's take. I mean, Jack obviously is the only one of us with professional general managing experience of a professional team. So it'd be interesting to get his take on it too. But I, you know, to me, um, that's an in, a really interesting take. And I, I'm sorry about Marte. That, that's depressing. And, you know, it's, it's actually depressing to hear some of the other players talk about him too. I mean, uh, you know, uh, n- not happy, but you know, mm-hmm. does that bleed over into fantasy? Uh, Jack, you said you had in, you had shares in him in another league. Yeah. And, and, um, I actually, <laughs> I actually had, um, um, I have Marte and Polanco, uh, in another league and, um, was trading made I was in involved in a trade and it ultimately came down to which of those two guys uh I was going to give up and uh went back and forth and back and forth I I, I'm not a big pirates guy I I don't really like either of them to be honest I don't know how the hell I got them both um but uh, I even went to the point where I called my brother and uh, who's a big pirates fan and said what what should I do and uh of course I traded Polanco so, uh, <laughs> well, that was the right decision in the moment. He's the he's moment. definitely the better player. Yeah, two two days ago, it was the right decision. Yeah. <laughs> uh, today, I'm not uh, I'm not too excited about it. Um, it's uh, you know, it's uh, it, you never know what's going to happen in fantasy. It's it's uh, it's interesting. He must have found uh, uh, Barry Bonds' old uh, secret locker. Door locker. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I mean, I think the Pirates leadership has a, you know, almost a cynicism now where they, they might see this as a blessing in disguise because it allows them to move Kutch back to center, which, let's face it, if they're marketing him for a trade before the deadline, his ability to demonstrate that he's not really lost it in the field completely is only going to be beneficial. So, with Jung Ho uh, stuck in Korea and now Marte on the shelf, I think they'll shut down Glass now, send him down to AAA, and um, not bring up Meadows and, and showcase Kutch in the hopes of uh, trading some prospects to, to refill the chest for uh, future years. I, I agree with you. In fact, I um, I had picked them up. Someone dropped them after the uh, the draft. I picked them up as a backup staff, and and now uh, I plan on dropping them as well. <laughs> Sorry. Not as well you should. This just in: Travis Darno is injured. Yeah, not unusual. That's uh, that's even quicker this year than usual. More more impressive than that is, uh, as you guys can see, uh, another Tim trade come across the wire and um tim i would just like to congratulate you every year you do more and more things that impress me and the ability to trade mark reynolds to anyone right now is uh just kudos man kudos i know there were other guys involved there were other guys involved (laughs) and uh and i'm not saying you know that he got a raw deal you gave some other but but um it still works. <laughs> no, I mean, I, you know, this is one. This was purely done. Um, I, I actually sent him a note and said, "Look, uh, I, I looked through all the teams, and I saw that um, that uh, who needed first base, and 
you know, who, who does not have a backup at first base. And so I took Mark Reynolds, who is a perfect backup, and Trey Mancini, who is having a phenomenal start, young guy, 25 years old. Uh, I don't think he's going to be an A player, maybe a B-plus player, but not an A player, and but could be. So, but I don't want to take a, a chance on him. Um, and, uh, you know, I've got AJ Reed, I've got, uh, Cody Bellinger. So I didn't really need him and I couldn't see a spot for him on the big league club, uh, consistently. And I didn't want to sit there and hope for a trade. Um, and so, uh, and then I also gave him a, um, I gave him a young player too. Um, Verdugo. Verdugo, who's, you know, I mean, he's, this guy's a stud. He's a stud outfielder for the, for the LA Dodgers. And, um, you know, again, probably a B plus player, not an A player, but someone that you know could do really well and could be up at the big league club pretty soon. And the little twist on it was Cabrian Hayes was taken the the pick before me in the league, and I made a big show of it. And I thought, you know, I could I'll bring this back up to LJ sometime later because he's going to know I made a big show of it. And so I mentioned that in the note, and for some reason he took it. I I had a very low. I thought there was maybe a two out of 10 chance he was going to take it, but I just he had to sit nothing. Because he thinks Mark Reynolds is going to still have a job in two weeks when Ian Desmond and David Dahl come back. That's why he took it. Well, and, and again, I'm not saying that the two guys you gave, I have no, you know, no, no. Two, yeah. Without Mark Reynolds, it might be a good deal. Um, but, but yeah, Mark Reynolds, in my opinion, has zero value in a very short time. Fair enough. And, <laughs> Good trade. Fair enough. I, fair enough. I've got my eyes on some other youngsters out there that I want to, I want to uh, put into my minor leagues. This is not a thing. I'm not trying to make it a thing where a trade goes off on on our. This is the two, the, the second time, <laughs> stop right? Stop making trades while you're doing the podcast. God, I'm terrified. I'm absolutely terrified of 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 just losing out to everyone else that's gaining ground on me. I have to stay ahead of everybody else. The, the, we, should, we should get back at him, Joe. Why don't you give me Will Myers real quick? I don't think so. <laughs> I've been trying for a year and a half to get Will Myers on my team. Hey, listen, I've I've had him on my roster for 80 games a season for several years. I'm going to get some use out of that bastard. You deserve it. Exactly. You deserve it. We, 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 I wish he was doing it for the Red Sox right now. <laughs> Well, uh, excellent. Thank you, Greg. Great insight on the Pirates. I really uh, found it very interesting to hear you talking about the Pirates and potential ways they may go. It's going to be a fun team for us to watch. And I may ask you some more stuff as we go along about what you think is happening, what the strategy is behind the, the scenes, what you're picking up from your sources, what you're seeing on the field. It's an interesting franchise. For years, they were just, they were horrible. And then about 10 years ago, right, they, they've they really become a very, very fun team. And then having lived, uh, you know, um, within walking distance of the stadium for a couple of years, I, I really fell in love with your team. And and uh, I hope I hope they really do find a way to turn around and get back up there and win and, and beat the damn Cubs and Cardinals. Uh, yeah, me too. They're, they're like being diagnosed with a chronic illness. You know, when you're diagnosed with a chronic illness, you really become a self-taught expert on that illness. So, uh, yeah, I'll be happy to, to, to provide my insight. I just got to tell you, as a passionate fan of my team, that was the most depressing clinical analysis of, of a team in April that I've ever heard. It's, uh, it's grim reality, you know? 
John Jason started in right field for the first time. In it his makes me want to trade Will Myers to you it, just to it, ease your pain. In his professional career. I mean, Jason was never played outfield as a professional until today. <laughs> I get it. Hey, uh, Greg, just so you know, Joe did sneak in on some of the master class of Art of the Trade, and he actually oh. was attempting to use one of those uh, one of those techniques, I think, right there. So, okay. yeah. So, just just want you to know. I know you had where uh-huh. a technical difficulty and could not uh, <laughs> could not pop into it. Yeah, um, I promise you, I don't mean that. Oh, I love okay. surprises. Yeah, if you do get Will Myers, give me a call, Greg. Okay. Yeah. R- remember who gave you Mazzara? That's all I want to say. Yeah. <laughs> Tim has thirty points against me right now, and Encarnacion isn't even playing. You are oh, absolutely God. Roying me. Uh, if it wasn't for Freddie Freeman, I'd have a chance in this game. Harper's got a four tonight. Freddie oh. fucking Freeman. Stanton and Harper are seven for seven with a double, three home runs, six RBIs, four runs scored, and three runs. Chris, how's this for de- or, uh, Jack, how's this for depressing? Your brother is killing me, even though he's left Marte in the lineup because he has no one else to replace him with, seemingly. No, he has no choice in our yeah, league. I, yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. what I mean. But he's still killing me besides that's having it. a suspended yeah. player in the starting lineup. You cannot get beat with one with missing a guy. That would not be good. And he didn't right. – I don't think – he didn't get any points before he left, did he? No. No. Nope. It's, it's, it's well on its way to coming to that. If you get If you get beat with a zero in his lineup, you will be ridiculed. I hear it. I'll deserve it. <laughs> you know, I'm really curious. You guys spent all that time talking about how pops won't do anything to, and I'm curious how much of that conversation led to both of you making trades with pops. Uh, mine was uh, not necessarily making it with pops in particular. Um, for me, I was actually looking at my minor leagues. There were guys that I wanted. I didn't have room. And um, I have a, a an exposed flank when it comes to my bench. And we'd had a long conversation that uh, about players and players that are va- you know what, what how players are valued. And I really undervalued steals. And so even though the conversation, Joe, you let me know that the conversation that we had about your philosophy was completely false. I actually learned in talking about that completely false, um, uh, uh, interpretation of your philosophy was that Billy Hamilton uh, actually could have some value in it. In the team, if the team continues to hit and he starts continues to get on base, he is going to overperform. And when I looked at that, he was ranked in the mid thirties for a for an outfielder, and mid twenties for an outfielder in our league is incredibly valuable. And so I just kind of put pen to paper, did a little math, and said, you know what? Why don't I take a flyer on this guy? And um, it, it, he's a guy, he's, he's kind of a, he's been passed around the league quite a bit. Um, yeah. And he's got really no, no intrinsic, I mean, a lot of people really don't value him at all. And I thought, is this one of those guys, this kind of post, 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 post type sleeper that, you know, could, could actually become in handy for two or three weeks. And so I threw That's it out there right. on a flyer and, you know, Pops took it, and I actually think it was a good deal for Pops. So Yeah, I think it was. For, I was surprised that you wanted Hamilton. 
Yeah, I, I think he's in danger of being pushed out of uh, everyday duties, though. They got some minor league outfielders who I think are due for a call up, especially if they keep doing well. I think if I'm if I'm not incorrect, I believe he's hitting 300 right now, which he's never done. And and but but the story has always been that if he did, I mean, he has. You know, uh, the 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 guy was pretty pretty valuable without getting on base. Um, so <laughs> somehow he didn't get on base and still was able to steal, you know, a multitude of bases. So, um, you know, if he does, uh, continue to hit that well, um, you know, he could be very valuable. I, I don't think he will. And I don't think yeah. in the rest. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that is, uh, I think that's totally legit. And it's one of those things that, um, I thought, wow, you know, l- let me see, let me see because I probably do have a little too much from the, the, the power department. Um, and you know, when I have a team that is full of 260 hitters, um, you know, that that's going to create some, some real challenges for me. So yeah, the Billy Hamilton, I, you know, here we go. Steals, man, steals the new homers. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually kind of taking a country in view. The other the big pickup there and um, somebody that I, I, had high on my list, didn't have the balls to, to do it in the draft and then watched him and watched him and watched him. And for some reason I thought he was going to end up on Mike's dad's team. And that always makes it a little better for me because he can only do so much damage. Uh, and then Mike picks up um, uh, Eric Thames and that, that if that guy could end up being the real deal, um, currently the top fantasy player in our league Um Score-wise, after a couple of weeks, again, it's early, um, but I did have uh, I had some love for that guy. Many of us do. Okay, well, on that note, we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back with a segment called "The Art of the Trade." Welcome to the first installment of our master series on the art of the trade. In this series, owner and league founder Jack will take us through the often complicated negotiations all fantasy owners need to master if they want to fly the championship flag. This is a multi-part series where he'll be teaching us about the fake hesitant approach, the kill them with kindness approach, the beat them down approach, and many others. Lesson one, the diversion approach. Okay, Jack, in today's lesson on the art of the trade, we're going to talk about the diversion approach. So what the heck is the diversion approach and why would I need to use a diversion approach when it comes to trading in fantasy baseball? Okay. So the diversion approach is, um, uh, something that, uh, uh I was ultimately, uh, forced to come up with. I, I was very successful in uh, a number of trades early in the league and um, got to the point where uh, other owners were hesitant uh, to uh, to trade with me. So uh, if I would um, utilize uh, uh, another type of approach that we'll talk about, uh, which is the direct approach, and just simply go after a guy and say, hey, uh, you know, I, I would like to, to trade you Fred McGriff for, for Gary Sheffield, uh, they would immediately overvalue Gary Sheffield and what does Jack know, and he's you know won every trade so far, so on and so forth. So the diversion approach is um, something I advise, which you would essentially uh, have a guy in mind, 
that you're focused on that you would like, uh, but instead you um, start the conversation based on another player on their team. Um, generally, it's uh, uh, better if it's somebody that uh, that they feel you have interest in already. Um, so sometimes uh, it will be a uh, say a Philadelphia Philly uh, that I have no interest in, but because he's a Philly, they expect me to. Um, and uh, so the concept obviously is uh, you uh, you start the process, you make the phone call, you say, hey, um, you know, uh, uh, was looking at your team and. Um, you know, I, I really, you know, Pat Burrell, uh, you know, looks like he's ready to go on a hot streak. I was just wondering if you were interested in moving him. Do you have any interest in him? Um, you know, maybe I could, do, I could do this, I could do that. I got prospects, what have you. And then, and then get into the conversation. Um, it does take a little bit of time and a little bit of patience. Um, there is, um, there's sometimes a, uh, a want to jump the gun and, uh, and go straight for your guy. Um, but, um, again, a lot of back and forth in the diversion trade, um, every now and then, this isn't something that you, you, I mean, when you say get into the conversation, basically there's a setup, right. To get in the conversation and it's to talk about someone that, that you've already thought they are going to think you have interest in. Is that correct? Just to get that conversation going. Correct. Correct. So. Um, and, it, and it doesn't necessarily need to be somebody that they feel you have interest in. That just helps it. Um, it, it, it helps disguise the, uh, the diversion, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, uh, so again, I, I have spent, um, I, I've utilized this to the point where I've gone through literally five, six uh, different players or player combinations uh, before I even brought up the guy that I was actually after. Um, well, how about Burl for, you know, this guy? Well, no, not quite. Well, what about this guy and this guy? And, you know, this guy, uh, eh, maybe if we squeezed him in and um, and, and just a, a back and forth situation and um, done correctly, um, and there is a, an art to it, uh, done correctly, you, um, you essentially um, happenstance the the player that you you targeted the entire time into the conversation um you know what you're right this uh, you know that's not fair this wouldn't work out this way that you know as much as i would like burl uh uh you, you know what about uh what about uh, freeman and and i know i'm going from uh, the 90s, <laughs> but just to put some guys out there. So, um, so what, you know, what about this guy? What, what if we did this and this for, for this guy? It helps um, to, and a lot of times, and, and we'll go over, um, you know, quite a, a, a few different types of uh, trading approaches, and many times you'll combine them. Um, so it helps a lot if you're in a, uh, a position to um, overpay. Uh, with this approach, so this would be a situation where um, I finally bring up the guy that I'm after uh, again as nonchalantly as possible. Uh, but now all of a sudden, uh, you know, I've been offering him uh, Neil Walker, Neil Walker, Neil Walker, uh, and uh, and then um, you know now all of a sudden I, I I'm talking about Jason Kipnis or Lemayhew or somebody with a little bit more value. And um, a lot of the times, if you combine those two, then the focus goes to that the jump on on your side, the jump of what they're receiving, 
uh, as opposed to why the hell did he all of a sudden ask me for, you know, Michael Brantley when we were talking about Justin Upton this whole time. So, so yeah, it's, it's a delicate, uh, balance. It sounds like you have to be really engaged in this conversation, right? It, it's, it, it, can you do it, um, uh, via the, the texting or email, or is this something that you think? Very, very difficult. You can, um, email and texting you could i guess under the right circumstances i i it's a phone call situation or a face-to-face phone call um uh is the best because um again in again a, a direct approach hey i got this guy you want this guy you can do it through text through email through carrier pigeon there's not a whole lot there um in this particular approach the diversion approach uh voice inflection is a, a huge part of it um, to, uh, to hear the, the response, um, you know, from the other owner and, um, um, like I said, the inflection in the response, um, will often, uh, bring you one way or the other, uh, will bring me to this guy or that guy. There's been plenty of times where <clears throat> I had, a uh, the, this diversion approach set up. And, um, and as I mentioned, I try to overpay at the end of it. And I had a guy in mind, uh, and I was really willing to, to, to overpay, and then all of a sudden through, um, you know, talking to him because I had him on the phone because of the inflection, all of a sudden I realized I didn't have to do that. I was going to scoop this up uh, with half of what I thought I was going to give. Um, so, again, it can be done through text, but uh, much more difficult, uh, much easier to do uh, over the phone. Sense of timeline, is this something that typically you're able to have one conversation, close the deal on that conversation, or is this uh, typically a, a multi-day, or does it depend on the owner and you and kind of how the conversation's going? Any any insight there? And then what are some things to watch out for? So you're, you're, you're engaged in this. You're talking about being patient. Don't jump the gun. Uh, don't spook the other owner. Are there some things that you have to really kind of worry about? Um, well, I, I, uh, when I mention patience, I, I do it from my mindset, which means <clears throat> don't ask for the guy in the first 30 seconds, um, you know, get, uh, uh, at least, you know, 10, 15 minutes into the conversation. Um, I generally in these type of deals, um, will not uh, try to extend it. I will try to get it done in a phone call. Um, I could see somebody with a little more patience and, um, uh, you know, extending it over some time, you probably even do better assuming, obviously the more time you give it, the more possibility, uh, of that targeted player, um, you know, hitting two home runs in a game and just disappearing from possibility. So the, um, the diversion approach also, um, is, uh, is a timely, um, approach. You, you obviously, uh, to try that with you, uh, for Bryce Harper today would probably not make much sense um, to, um, you know, but to go after, uh, for you to have tried it with me uh, for Cabrera uh, four days ago, um, you know, that it, it would have made a lot more sense. So obviously um, it doesn't work very well if you're, <laughs> you're going after a guy that's on fire. Um, but um, <clears throat> if you have the patience and the guy doesn't go nuts during the, two or three days that you're waiting, then yeah, I mean, I could see that actually working to your advantage. Sometimes I tend to get it done, uh, in a phone call. I'll, um, you know, I'll, uh, I'll get it done or I'll blow it up by the time I'm, I'm done talking usually. 
<laughs> anybody who plays fantasy sports has got to appreciate what you're laying out for us here. Looking forward to the next several installments of The Art of the Trade. Really appreciate you doing this. Thank you, Jack. Of course. Thank you. So, Greg, you're a vegetarian. Is that political or is that health reasons? Or I see your beautiful pictures on Instagram. It actually makes me think, hmm, you know what? Maybe I'd be a vegetarian. But what's the deal? What gives? When did you, where did you learn how to cook like this? Well, you know, uh, it's a little known fact about me, Tim, that I was a vegetarian for 10 years uh, throughout my 20s and into my 30s. And then I, I got away from it. But uh, I've recently, it's true, I've recently re-embraced veganism. Um, it's not political. I'm, a, I'm much less political about it uh, or stringent about it than I was before. But it really comes down and it's connected to sports in a strange sort of way. So um, Interesting. One of the, I'm buying. How, what, what do you mean? It's, yeah. Okay. Well, you know, one of my greatest uh, pleasures in life is running. You know, I, I, I'm not fast anymore, but I was at one time fairly competitive as a runner. And it's just something that's always been a part of my life, and it's important to me. But last July, I tore my meniscus in my knee. And so I, I struggled for months with it. I tried to rehab it without surgery, and I eventually had to have surgery. And so my goal has been to get up and running, and it's been slow progress. And, you know, you guys know me. Uh, I'm a, uh, what, what in the running community they call a Clydesdale, you know, uh, a bigger guy, uh, over 200 pounds. And I realized that if I intend to run again, that I need to lose weight. And so um, the easiest path in my mind to doing that uh, is to go vegan, you know. And so I decided, you know, basically it was a trade-off. Uh, I, I like running. I enjoy running more than I enjoy meat. And so that was the most expedient way to do it. Now, there's also a lot of, um, it's funny how, how fate speaks to you. Uh, as I was coming to this decision, my daughter uh, announced to me that she had become interested and wanted to become a vegan. You know, as I was contemplating uh, the health benefits of it, uh, a colleague of mine at work was extolling the benefits of veganism. Um, they pointed me to a, a documentary called Forks Over Knives yeah. on, on Netflix. Great, interesting documentary. Um, you know, and, and I've also had some family recently with some health issues that in retrospect, uh, you know, uh, the scientific, scientific, scientific evidence is there to suggest that this would, would help me with my genetic makeup avoid similar challenges as I age. And so... Sometimes the universe just taps you on the shoulder and says, you know, Craig, this makes sense for you at this point in time. And so uh, that's what I did. As far as the cooking, uh, you know, I grew up in a restaurant-owning family, so I'm comfortable in the kitchen, but I am not an intuitive chef. And the reason that I take such pleasure in photographing those meals that I prepare and 
shamelessly sharing them is because I'm going from cookbooks and I'm usually going from cookbooks with pictures. And so, you know, if, if I can make some, some close approximation of what I'm seeing in the cookbook uh, and it tastes okay, then I consider myself a success. And so uh, I'm measuring, I'm measuring dutifully every ingredient so that I can, uh, so I can create something that's edible. And so far, so good. I'm having a good time with it. And they're, I'm losing weight. Congratulations. That's awesome. Thanks. I remember uh, back on the East Coast in Richmond, you were doing a lot of mm. the uh, longer runs. I don't know if you yeah. were marathoning at that point. Uh, but I, Half marathon. Half marathon. Yeah. Um, and I know that's, that's the, the, the lightest that you were when I, when I, when I knew you, mm -hmm. but these pictures in the way you do it, where you, you have all the ingredients and then you have kind of typically a couple of pictures as the ingredients come together. And then you have the finished dish, the finished dish, really, you, you plate really well. And, you know, I said, wow, this, this looks appetizing. This looks really Really nice. And um, it looks like there's different, a lot of different flavors. You have a lot of different colors in your dish. So um, good on you on that, man. Um, good on you. And yeah. I'm glad that you're not upset if I have a cheeseburger with you the next time we go out for beers, right? Not at all, man. Yeah, no, it's, I'm not political about it at all. Uh, you know, and, and back in the day, I used to be very strict on myself and I would kind of spite myself. But now, if, uh, if you're kind enough to invite me to your home and there's some, non-vegan dish you know that you offer me i'm gonna enjoy it you know I, if i feel like having sushi uh once in a while i'm gonna have it you know but uh, overall this is a lifestyle that for me uh, makes it very difficult to cut corners it makes it more difficult for me to eat in an unhealthy way um and so it, it's a it's a net benefit to me you know so uh it's also i can run that's beautiful that's beautiful. So um, uh, moving on to a few different things here. Thank you, Greg. A sure. uh, couple of things going on in the league. We talked about the A division, the B division, the champions division. Mm -hmm. And I think on this podcast, we were all enthusiastic uh, about changing the name. And uh, guys, I hate to tell you, but uh, four of the eight votes are for A division, B division, and champions division. That it is, it is uh, far and away. The the now there's two people who haven't voted yet, and the Bonds Division, McGuire Division, and Griffey Division still could tie for A Division, B Division. Um, we got Rocky, uh, the Rocky, Bullwinkle, and Boris Divisions uh, did get one vote. We got the Burt, Ernie, and Grouch Divisions got one vote. Um, I'm really surprised the John West, Tom Byron, Peter North Division did not get any votes, not a single vote. Um, cast for that. Who too old a reference. <laughs> yeah, who conceived of that? Uh, that was I. W I must say, I'm no prude, but I was like, wow, that is an interesting. Uh, <laughs> that is an interesting uh, recommendation or nomination. Yes, Jack I say. came up with that. Wow, <laughs> I love it. Jack got in trouble for that. Awesome. Um, <laughs> was that right? Nope. So, uh, damn it, I'm sorry, Jack. The the uh, <laughs> Jack. Now you know something. Um, so. Uh, the Alliance Division, the Resistance Division, the Imperial Division, I thought for sure Chris would give us at least a vote on that. Um, Captain Division, Tennille Division, and Muskrat Division, nothing. Absolutely uh, not. The Jim Division. seceded from the league if that had been the, the names. And it elicited a chuckle. I appreciate the uh, the suggestion. Yeah. Uh, the Bitch Division, Butch Division, Stud Division, which I actually thought, hmm, is this politically incorrect to put up there or not? But... Uh, 
Pops was pretty this? pretty emphatic about having something called a bitch division, so I I I, I filled in the rest. The gin, tonic, and juice divisions. Um, and then I, you know, frankly, the Mr. Brown, Mr. Pink, and the Champions Division, I like that. Uh, I, I was pretty cool. I with like that. it too. Uh I, I think one of the owners, Eldon, had no idea where that came from. And that just, you know, I love Eldon, but come on, man. Like if you don't get that reference. Take it good easy, Mr. Pink. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, how do we let you in the league? Uh, you know, so are you saying I screwed up by asking by by voting for the Rocky and Bullwinkle and Boris divisions? Uh no. Did I, I screw everything up? I don't think you screwed anything up. I think that this this that uh, ha- that forty uh, percent of the league feels strongly that A division, B division, Champions division is oh. how we should be. So I'm going to so, give it. I'm going to give it one more day, and then how many votes are we missing? We're missing two <laughs> votes. We have eight total. So if you got fifty percent of eight, if the other two go to Bonds, McGuire, and Griffey, then we would have a runoff, but. Uh, the so, Bird, Ernie, Grouch, Rocky, Bullwinkle, yeah, Boris. The, the, the A division, B division, Champions division is obviously uh, for a reason that 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 because we're putting the better teams in one division, the other two being equal. Um, so some of these names don't show that. And and was that the the idea? Should well, like this, team. like Tupac uh, division, Notorious B.I.G. division. They're both dead. But Jay Z is still alive and well and doing great, right? That was the whole point, right? So about Bert, Ernie, and the Grouch. Well, you know, Bert and Ernie. I mean, you could. There's a lot of things there with Bert and Ernie you could go with, and then Grouch is, you know, Grouch. It actually got a vote. I, I mean, that was what pretty is, much. So is the Bonds division the Champions division, or is that it's it's just kind of up no, there? Gri- the, no, Griffey's the Griffey's champion the champion division. because he Griffey's did it. He clean. He's clean. Right. Ah, there you go. Uh, it sounds like Jack. Maybe you haven't voted yet. I have now. Oh, oh <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Tom Byron, here we come. I would have voted for the Mr. Brown, Mr. Pink, but I know it was a wasted vote. So much like uh, ah. So all right. So we actually have. There is one person who has not voted, and that one person could either. Um, actually, I, yeah, I, we could have a runoff or in reality at that point, I think we would go with the bonds McGuire Griffey, at least for this year. I, I might change my team name to Mr. Blonde after all this reservoir. Dog <laughs> <laughs> you know. That's beautiful. Mr. That's, Blonde. So <laughs> trying to bring some, some, some fun into the league, just have yeah, a good time. Too. And you guys are, there you go. Um, and you guys are, uh, you know, everyone has a lot of stuff going on. So um, uh, one of the things I do is I like to change the the league picture. And I put up Raleigh fingers uh, this week. And uh, in reality, just marveling uh, over his facial hair. I mean, he, 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 that mustache is phenomenal. And I, you know, baseball is a sport that um, I know in hockey, you have the playoff beards, right? And in football, you have the Freddie Freeman. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay, Joe. Um, Jeez, <laughs> um, I think I predicted at the beginning of the year that Freddie Freeman was just going to suck. Um, uh, that was me. Wow, he's, yeah, he's having a good night. So 
you know, what is it with baseball and, and why, why is it that we see some of the most creative facial hair in baseball? I mean, football, you've got the dreads, right? In mustaches, hockey, you got the, the beards and stuff, but you know, I, I just think that, you know, it is, uh, it's a fun expression. It's really neat. And, you know, are there any guys that you remember that, that just had facial hair that you thought, all right, man, like I'm, I'm going to go that way or that's, Really freaking cool. Kevin Euclid had a magnificent beard. <laughs> yeah, I liked uh, Brian Wilson, the the reliever from the Giants too. Like he, Good one. It, yeah. like he had that jet black beard. Like he must have been combing in like black dye to make it so dark. It was incredible. <laughs> and you have the um, the Quisenberry '70s porn mustache. Um, I was a, yeah, Raleigh. I was always a a, a, a fan of uh, of Raleigh fingers. That uh, that that was a neat one. Um, who else? Gossage. Goose, yeah, Goose Gossage. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's the beards though. Yeah. Now the beards seem to be the hip thing. The uh, the big thing. Well, you got like Manny and and Kutch in the old days with their dreads. Uh, I think to your point, Tim, like baseball players, unlike other athletes, I mean, I know they spend a lot of time together in season and other sports, but those guys, it's like, you know, uh, summer camp for six months with those baseball players in the clubhouse day in and day out. And so I think that lends itself to the, you know, the creativity. The, uh, the Pirates have a relief pitcher they picked up from the Nationals last year, uh, Felipe Rivero. And he's got basically a crew cut with like a shock of bleach blonde, like, mohawk fuzz that just protrudes out the back of his cap it's uh it's quite uh unique who was the um I, i'm just trying to think of like the the new beard uh, epidemic that uh, jason worth to me I, like I, there were a bunch of guys with normal facial hair playing baseball and then there was Jason Worth. Am I missing? Was there? Was there? Was he the the first guy to start doing this, or was there, was there guys? That I I can't think of anybody before that. Anyway, with the big no, yeah, huge... I think I think he set the trend, and then like Keuchel and Charlie Blackman jumped on board with it. And then you got the pitchers, though the guys with not the facial hair, but the long hair, like uh, Lincecum, the Grom, yeah, yeah, that's become a new thing too. Yeah. DeGrom, his hair, so you would think it would affect him. <laughs> he has so much freaking hair. Oh, would, yeah. There would be some effect on uh, eyesight or, or, or even his arm at that point. You got hair halfway down your damn back. It's, it's, uh, it's interesting. It's like one of the, uh, one of the Hanson boys. Mm. It's absolutely wild, isn't it? I mean, you think about the personalities and, you know, the sport of baseball there's no there's no helmet uh face mask in the in the way in between you know what uh, you know what you're seeing with your player feel like that you you can have a closer connection with them and it's also i think when you're playing 6 months out of the year you, it's a grind you're playing every day that there there's actually an entertainment element to the facial hair for the other players on your team that it's not just, you know, I, I, you know, maybe with Raleigh Fingers, he he really spent a lot of time on that. I think that was something that was was more about him. But I always look at the pitchers in the uh, bullpen, and that looks like one of the most fun places to watch a baseball game from ever. There's always seems like there's something going on there. Those guys are spending 
you know, most of the game just goofing around at, at a level of readiness and looseness that I can't even imagine having to get myself into and having a good time out there. I mean, I, I think if, if I had the ability to uh, spend a year just with one team and to watch every single game that I would hope that I could watch it from inside the bullpen because I think there would be the game and then there'd be the bullpen antics and and the intricate uh, 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 pranks and jokes. And I mean, these, they have jokes that probably run two or three months long, you know, as they're going through it. Yeah, that's an interesting point. There's there's such a high proportion of inactivity in baseball, right? Such a long season, and if you're in the bullpen, if you're a starter, you're only playing every five days. If you're in the bullpen, you're playing 50 to 60 to 70 games, or you're a bench guy, you're playing for one inning as a defensive replacement. You know, So if you add up the time that they spend from the time they arrive at the clubhouse every day to the time they depart, and then you, you calculate what proportion of that time are they actually moving around engaged in some sort of activity, you know, it seems to me that that leaves them a lot of free time for hijinks and for watching their hair grow. <laughs> right? Hijinks. That's, I think that's a perfect way of saying that. And you think about just how, you know, how fun that must be. I mean, I guess it could be a grind, but it doesn't seem like it. And, you know, I think television producers do such a good job. You'll notice, and, and Greg, I know you watch enough baseball to see this. And, and there are times when we can't watch more. I've actually been able to watch more on every broadcast. There'll be a few times where they'll zero in on what's going on in the bullpen. And I absolutely love that about this sport. There's so many nooks and crannies that you can somebody get lost have, in. Somebody will have a soda on their hat and they don't realize <laughs> that their teammates are laughing at them. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully they don't get too bitter. I mean, every time they see their uh, their wire transfers for their weekly or monthly paychecks, that should <laughs> take the edge off the, the ennui, I would hope so. Nice. Well, uh, great segment. I really appreciate that. I know this was out, went a little further off, but uh, I certainly enjoy talking to you, and I love that we have this and we can actually connect and, and talk about some of the other stuff that uh, maybe isn't directly related to fantasy baseball, but certainly is related to us as people and, and what we like and what we enjoy. So I certainly wish to you all a great night and a great week. And uh, Jack, I hope I can get a win against you in the champions yeah, division. Oh, it's, it's done. Not to start a new conversation. But have, did you guys see this, um, this thing with Anthony Rizzo in second base? No. Why is he playing second base? Boy, Madden. Madden loves, loves to do crazy shit, doesn't he? Well, it's the shifts. There's this, it's now become an argument of somebody. But as of right now, according to CBS Sports, Anthony Rizzo has played two games at second base. Um, I guess they... Uh, wow. They, um, they move him up. When the, when the Cubs defend sacrificed bunts, they have the second baseman move to first with Rizzo ditching his first baseman's mitt for one play to field the bunt. And they qualify oh that as being right. serious. So, all right. So we have the, the council of commissioners on this on this podcast or this uh, broadcast right now. So, commissioners, is is that are we going to let Rizzo qualify for second base if he plays nine plays there all year? Uh, it's five games is all he needs. So he needs three more, and he becomes a second baseman as per. I don't, I don't know Wait. that we can change that. Well, but how do you define a game? 
you know, like one play or two plays a game. That's you have one at bat. You've played in a game. Up to CBS yeah. And yeah. Uh, and and this and this time I'm not sure that that's the right case. I, like I I, I agree. I mean, you're gonna play Pablo Sandoval at second base. Well, then, then you get into then you get into uh, you know uh, these teams that shift. I, you got third baseman playing on the opposite side of second base sometimes with you know right. players. Does that make them a second baseman now? Like it, it's um, yeah, it's Chris Bryant a shortstop? Right, exactly. Right. That's I mean they're going to get into some weird situations there. I, I um, it looks like you know maybe he won't play three more and it won't matter, but he's got two already in two fucking weeks. So. Well, you, you know what I think, and again, I'm not saying this just because I don't want to have uh, Anthony Rizzo against me as a middle infielder, but you know we should defer to the box score. If the box score shows the player uh, as you know having shifted, you know sometimes a player will shift from right to left in the course of the game. If the box score the official box score shows that Rizzo well, shifted positions, then yeah, I would say sure. But do we even have the ability to do that? We should yeah, check and see so. And and it does it does come and this is something we've always done, um, that has always been part of the league and, and thankfully we've had a, a, a pretty good group of people that's never become but it, but it's always been what makes sense. Like what what is the best for the league. So even if you know, CBS Sports ends up saying that Anthony Rizzo can play second base. Um, it's still something that we, as a league, would discuss. And and um, you know, the dude has literally played two at bats at second. If it, I guess it is second base. I I don't know. It's interesting. Definitely something that we'll have to look at. And yeah. I would defer to the official scorer, though. You know what I mean? If if, if yeah. he doesn't get shifted yeah. to that position, he's not playing that position. Um, no. Yeah, I mean, because then what, what are you going to every time whoever the Pittsburgh center fielder is that day runs into right field territory to make a catch? Is he all of a sudden a right fielder? I mean, yeah. that's stupid. Yeah. Because, uh, but the shortstop runs across the diamond and catches yeah, yeah. the ball at first base. Or, or, first you're right. now? Or, or a catcher who backs up a play at first, you know? Yeah. Better example. Yeah, that makes no sense to me. Yeah, I, I want to um, want to see. I don't. I don't know what games they're referring to, so I'm interested to see if they actually. They sure as hell have Rizzo listed at second base slash first base. For... Well, now that said, I could see Madden. You know, in a late, especially in an extra inning game, I could and... see Madden saying, "Hey, you know what." We're depleted, uh, Anthony. I need you to play the fourteenth, the bottom of the fourteenth at second. You know, and then that would be not, legit. That's I guess. not what, right. what's happening. They're him and Zobrist oh. are literally switching spots for a play and then going back to that's it. That's so strange. That's so, I've never seen. Man. Looking at a box score, it says Rizzo, and it even has like like a, a weird dash before. The, the second day, if you look, it's April 17th is the game. It, it, like, it says Bryant, comma, space, 3B, like normal. This says Rizzo, comma, dash, 2B, dash, 1B. Oh, okay. Which is odd that it has second base first, but then Zobra, same thing, dash, 1B, dash, 2B. So, I, I mean, friggin' Joe Madden. 
I would agree with that sentiment. I actually, I, I, I like it. And, and the reason I like it is that we are progressing, right? We, we are looking at the game differently. There's, there are shifts coming into it now. This is a game that has remained constant for many, 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 many years. And suddenly, innovation is starting to percolate up. And I love innovation. Uh, I'm not, I don't always welcome the chaos it brings to my life. However, that's kind of interesting when you think about, we always thought a first baseman is a first baseman in every situation, in every way. We even went to the official score, right? What does the official score say? And then Jack did the quick research, right? Yep. Yep. Actually he's officially scored. And, and I think this is exciting. I think that, I think the shift is just another step in the progression of this game and that hitters are going to have to change the way they approach hitting to beat the shift. And it's another evolution. And I really push back against people who say, oh, we should get rid of the shift. It's ruining the game. I think it's just the next step. And I think it's the ultimate competitive environment. And, you know, the reality is in the on that on that play, before the ball is pitched, he's playing second base. So what's the difference between that and a shift? The, the, the fact that somebody right. else took his spot? If Zobrist moved over to the right and Rizzo moved over to the right, is he playing second base then? Like Chris Bryant, when they shift, goes from first to where yeah. the stop is. And, well, and, and, he also, and Bryant also goes into short right field. Yeah, I was going to say, do we do we have a new position now, too? Like, I, like do we create the, the new the special shift? outfielder in softball? Yeah, and I, I agree, Tim. For baseball, I'm all for it. I have no no qualms about it for baseball. It's just the implications on fantasy, um, you know that that yeah. especially in a, a a permanent league, it's not like you know what I mean. Well, uh, I'll I'll go on record saying I don't like innovation when it comes to baseball, and like in the example that Jack just gave, if Chris Bryant's playing short right field, and he takes a grounder and throws to first. That's still a 6-3 putout. That's still third base to first baseman putout because that's the position that Bryant is in on the scorecard. The you know, it's the official scoring of the game. And so it, even though Bryant's playing center field in a shift and he's the he started at third base, that's still a 6-3 putout. So I wonder what 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 had Rizzo retrieved the the bunt and and thrown it to uh Sobris then I wonder how they I, I don't I, know I don't know how it scored I want to see the <laughs> official score three I don't that's it's a three four slash four three I, that's interesting right. I don't know it's interesting it's definitely well, and if, if there's two infielders playing between second and first or three infielders playing between second and first so essentially two second basemen could they turn a you know a uh, a four-four-three double play. <laughs> Fuck that. I I do believe that the next shift is going to involve an infielder playing shallow outfield. I I do think that is going to be the next uh, next innovation in the shift. And you know we're it's already be from Japan. It'll be a guy named Otani from Japan, right? <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, yeah. I, so I think that's, that it's pretty interesting, but I'm all for it. I, I think that, you know, baseball in, in fantasy, holy crap. If Rizzo gains eligibility, then, right. you know, maybe I should have traded Reynolds to Mikey. 
he might have mm. needed a first baseman. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you got to, yeah, you have to be able to, but, but, you know, there's just general rules, and and one of the general rules in fantasy is if a first baseman gains eligibility any fucking where else, it's valuable. If it's in the middle infield, it's ridiculous. So thinking that that you know that he he can play fucking middle infield, that's um, that's it. I mean, and then and then does it become? Do other people start doing that? Like, yeah, does it become vogue? Do, does my right. starting infield consist of? Rizzo at first, Encarnacion at second. Uh, you know, Big Poppy out of retirement at short. Brera <laughs> goes back to third. Yeah, I'm sure Mikey will like it. Yeah, I yeah, I mean, you know, and and Mikey has had Rizzo since he was in the minor leagues, right? I think even in San Diego. Yeah, hey, he's had him, yeah, yeah. I think he's had him for a while. Uh, I know we've had him for a while, so. But yeah, I mean, when it yeah, when it comes down to it, it, it oh, the the ultimate when it comes down to it, ultimately, it, it the 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 site is the decipher. Um, so if the site based on the box score says that he plays second base, then he plays second base, uh, unless, as a league, we all feel that it's a negative thing that would hurt the league at that point. Um, I don't know that this is going to be the case in that situation, but. Um, you know, for, for, we've had situations in the past where it's just come down to what's best for the league. And, um, and we, you know, like I said, been able to, to make decisions based on that. I, I, you know, it happens, shit happens. Um, you know, get guys, um, like I'm trying to think of a guy, there was a guy that, that, um, played out of position. Who the hell was it? Tim, a few years back and just a somewhat ridiculous, I can't remember now, but. Uh, you know, it happens. And it's baseball. I mean, these guys, you know, uh, they're not that, that, that much. Uh, Encarnacion at shortstop is probably a bit of a reach. But, um, you know, uh, if a guy guy can play third. He can play. There's a lot of guys out there that should qualify for other positions in fantasy and don't simply because there's a better guy playing that position on the team they're on. Um, you know, Trey Turner last year. So, well, I think if anything, if that does happen with Rizzo this year, I mean, I think the only fair thing to do would be to d- obviously to defer to the to CBS Sports yeah. and what their site, because to, to to you know ask nine other owners to to pass judgment on something that will be to their disadvantage wouldn't yeah. necessarily. Well, and it's not going to be just Rizzo if that happens. Yeah. It's going to be a whole bunch of infielders. You would think, and generally, and to that point, Greg, you're right. Generally, we try not to do things on the fly like that. If anything, we would go with what CBS says, and then in the off season, get together and make a decision. Does this make sense? Are we going to allow, you know? Um, but if it starts happening regularly, you're, you're not going to go back and check every friggin' box score to see if he played one play, two plays. In fact, by looking at that, had I not read that article, I would have had no idea. By looking at that box score. Rizzo played second base. So, guys, before we go, can I make one bold prediction that I, I wasn't able to make because I, my computer died on me? It's about Otani. So, uh, Joe, you asked about you know which team Otani might end up playing for. Uh, I think the perfect fit, and if I were a betting man, I'd I'd bet Mariners. You know, I, I bet you that mm. Suzuki, um, you know, passes the torch to Otani. And, the, and Seattle would be a perfect market for him to do it because, you know, first of all, they love Ichiro. And secondly, 
they're the type of team that I think if anybody would say, you know what, we want this guy on the field every freaking day that we can get him on the field because he's going to be a draw for us. And so they would be the type of team that would sign him. And maybe he'd take an undervalued <laughs> contract from a Mariners if Ichiro uh, greased the rails a little bit. Are, are you saying just... that? Are you saying that the Mariners would do that because of their connections to Japan, and that they yeah. it, and so they they believe that they could sell merchandise in Japan based on who this guy is because well, they have strong ties yeah. to Japan already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess merchandise and just they have that legacy. I mean, they they are the team that will, you know, uh, that the greatest Japanese-born player will be enshrined for for the Hall of Fame. Let's face it, when Ichiro gets enshrined, he's going in as a Mariner. You know, besides Ken Griffey Jr. and maybe Edgar Martinez, you know, uh, but, I, you know, Ichiro's better than Edgar Martinez, as great as he was. You know, he's probably the second most important Mariner is is Ichiro. And I don't think that'll be lost upon a, a guy like uh, Otani. And again, I think the, that, you know, the the big boys of, of the majors, the, the Cubs, the Sox, the Yankees, the, the Dodgers, they're going to they're going to be willing to pay for Otani, but they're going to see him as much more of a commodity to be managed and and. and and just used in the in the great. They don't need Otani to play right field for the Red Sox. You know right. what I mean? They don't need Otani to play in the outfield for the Dodgers. But the Mariners might say, you know what? We'll give you Cano type money. Come play for us, and hell yeah, we'll let you start and we'll let you play right field on the on four or five days a week. You know, I don't know. That's it. Just seems to make sense to me. I like it. So here's my I, other question. My other question is, would I would go with that as well? I like that thing. It's a good take, right? Other question, though, Greg, is would that be enough for you to say, hey, Tim, let's take a road trip up to Seattle and see this Otani guy play? Would, would Absolutely. It cause, so, it would, so, so it would encourage you to, to buy a ticket. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, I'd love to go see the Mariners now. I love going to any ballpark. We can do that you know, uh, next weekend. But, uh, but wouldn't it be cool to go to, like, two games – see an Otani start on Saturday and strike 10 guys out. And then the next day, you know, he hits a home run, steals a base and, uh, and makes a diving catch and right. Wouldn't that be cool? That would be cool. That'd be very cool. Yeah. All right. Well, that's a good take. Thank you, gentlemen. Uh, and um, this has been wonderful. I had a lot of fun this week. I really appreciate it.
But mate, do you want to be in a psych really band? I can't play any instruments. Don't matter, can you stag off the meteors? Yeah, of course I can. Oh, that's alright, you're in then mate. Alright, let's go.